Hi everyone, this is Haley and you're listening to Straight Talk with the Doc, a podcast on addiction, mental health, and treatment. We look into topics on all things addiction and recovery related and get some expert insight from our medical director, Dr. Bott. We are also joined today by our content director, Jeff. How are the two of you doing today? Doing well, Haley. How are you guys? I'm doing good. It's really nice today. Good. I'm glad to hear it. So if you or anyone you know has ever struggled with substance abuse, you probably know all about the high possibility of relapse. According to a study from the Journal of the American Medical Association, between 40 and 60% of people who've gone to treatment relapse within the first year. For a lot of people, relapse is just part of the process of recovery, but I'm sure that doesn't make it any less frustrating. Dr. Bott, from your experience working in addiction medicine, why is relapse so common that first year? Addiction is such a behaviorally, psychologically, and physically mediated illness that once somebody leaves treatment or enters early recovery, the, the variables and the context in which the addiction existed often hasn't been tested yet. And these have been influences, triggers to why someone used in the first place. And so when, when addiction doesn't ex- exist in a vacuum, it exists uh, in relationship with many other things in one's life. And it's important that those things get tested um, in a gradual manner. Being that addiction is such a powerful thing and it is something that affects so many domains of somebody's life, it takes practice it takes reconditioning, learning new habits, being around new person, places, things, and situations. And then unfortunately, that takes time to master. And those influences are there when somebody re-enters society, re-enters their life. So being that that those risk factors um, have such a tremendous influence on somebody, we often will see this illness re-emerge. And um, unfortunately, when it comes to addiction, you talk about 40 to 60%. Those numbers actually vary even more than that. Those, depending on the substance of abuse, the time into recovery, the co-occurring issues somebody might have, we have seen numbers as high as up to 90%. Because by definition, Addiction is a, is a disease of chronicity and incorporates, unfortunately, relapse. That doesn't necessarily mean, though, it has to have relapse and people have to um, start using again. But the nature of the disease is that, uh, is that difficult that we do see people use again. So I know it depends on the individual and their history, but how many relapses would be considered normal? You know, is it one, five, ten? Is there a normal? I would probably stay away from using the word normal or abnormal. We have seen the studies, we've seen the research, we see the fact that people who suffer with addiction have high rates of using again, but we see the similar rates in other chronic diseases where the disease symptomatology reoccurs and relapses. So, you know, I wouldn't identify a, a, a number that can somewhat 
bias on the individual. It can somewhat, somewhat look as a predestination. So we have individuals that relapse multiple times, and we have people that enter sobriety, achieve recovery, and don't use any substances again for the rest of their lives. So I would not identify a number um, to the relapse for any individual. Is it more likely to happen within a certain time frame from leaving rehab? You know, is it more likely within two days, two weeks, or can it be much longer than that? I think if you talk to many people in the recovery community, um, relapse can occur at any time. Oftentimes, being that, like any habit, any practice, any thing that we do, the longer you do something, the more you solidify it. And when you achieve recovery, we hope that you gain mastery as you go along. So the earlier time when you are first embarking on your recovery journey, that's often a vulnerable time because you haven't had an opportunity yet to manipulate all of the variables that you will come across in your, in your life. So, you know, most people would say the early time in recovery is, is often a difficult one. And, but I don't want to uh, minimize the fact that when it comes to, you know, staying vigilant, that has to last a lifetime. I'd like to talk about the factors that influence rates of relapse, including certain substances. Do certain substances have higher relapse rates than others? Of the physically dependency-causing um, drugs, often more difficult to um, stay in remission longer. Um, th these individuals who end up having pretty significant painful withdrawal tend to um, have a more difficult time staying abstinent. These are often uh, the opiate drugs, alcohol sedatives, they cause a pretty significant physical withdrawal symptoms and then thus makes it um, harder to stay away from. Um, but then also you asked other variables, you know, you know, we, we look at the context in which addiction exists and that is um, the environment, the person, places, things, and situations. And um, if somebody who's been using around certain people who um, are back around those people it becomes very difficult to stay uh, abstinent. So people and places and things and situations all connect as triggers um, to, to using again. So it, it's important that this is incorporated in, in someone's recovery plan and in what context they used and try and um, anticipate those um, when, when trying to maintain long-term sobriety. Does also having a mental health disorder impact someone's risk of relapse? Well, having a mental health disorder in itself is a, is a risk factor for developing addiction. So uh, for sure, you know, your state of mind plays a huge part in why somebody uses a substance in, in the first place, being happy, being sad, being stressed. And um, if your mental health is something that was fragile or something that was um, the reason that you were using to escape from any psychological pain or distress. Um, if that decompensates, if those symptoms reemerge, 
then definitely that can be a huge risk factor for somebody pursuing substances again. So, you know, when we look at developing a treatment plan, we, we encourage people to ensure that if there is an underlying mental health condition, that that be addressed through proper medication, uh, therapies, um, support groups, anything that can exercise, anything that can help you feel better uh, psychologically. So, you know, drug-seeking behavior is less attractive. Um, that's definitely encouraged and should be incorporated. So you mentioned triggers, you know, people, places, things. But in your experience, can you give some examples of what are some of the most common triggers that cause people to relapse? So it's funny, I probably could ask 100 people, and they would probably give me 100 different scenarios. But, um, you know, those classes that you just mentioned that we talked about, um, of course, you know, most people identify drug use with some sort of emotion. So an emotion is a huge thing. If you get angry, if you get sad, if you feel depressed, well, often those things were what psychologically we identified as a reason to use, or we habituated, accustomed, whatever word we want to use, um, they went hand in hand with, um, with substance use. So when, when we first enter recovery and, and, and we're in early sobriety, um, it's important that the individual have learned during their treatment process um, those, those relationships. So I often suggest, you know, it's important, you know, I, I, I kind of say identify A, B, C, and D to um, certain things in your life. So for example, A could be recognizing who are those persons and places and things and situations that have been associated with B, B being thoughts. What are those thoughts that are related to those person, places, things, and situations? And those thoughts being B lead to often C, C being emotions, feelings. And what are those feelings? And ultimately that are segueing to D and D being the actual um, drug using behaviors. And the reason we, we highlight or encourage people to really dissect this is because this is happening in, in, in seconds or minutes in real life when, when we start using or resume using drugs or use drugs in the first place. So when, while in treatment, it's important that um, we take the time to dissect that, that dynamic, that relationship, because um, any one of those four main things or three main things that lead to D um, have an influence on that. And they don't necessarily have to come in that order. I mean, if I talk to anybody who suffers with addiction, they'll tell me, well, sometimes I got mad and I, I got mad and then it made me think I, I was... Uh, think um, badly about my, my, my family. And then I, when I thought badly about it, I felt guilty. I mean, it's a cycle. There's a relationship. There's an influence that one bears on another. So the bottom line is, you know, there are so many different factors that are associated with that. You have to put that in context and dissect them um, because for each individual, like I said at the beginning, 
they all could come up with their own unique examples of why they use. And um, it's important that we do our best to identify them so we can anticipate them and incorporate healthy alternative behaviors, coping mechanisms, um, aside from the, the drug use to help deal with those um, A, B, and Cs um, once, we're, um, once we're not using illicit substances. So for those who might be listening who may just be starting their journey towards recovery, are they more likely to relapse if they try to get sober on their own versus going to treatment and getting professional help? We, we spoke about earlier or in previous episodes that addiction is, is, is not a disease that just affects one person. Um, it, it affects the person using and then everybody and everything in that person's life. And uh, it's important that that be addressed um, in, in its entirety. So many people who do try to stop often are not successful is because the only thing that they can possibly influence is themselves. But when there's so many other things going on around them, it becomes very, very hard, especially when we're under the influence of a mind altering substance. So, you know, professional help is sought out to help provide that framework, help enter an environment that is free of those external variables that are often associated or influence our substance use and uh, give that person a roadmap, so to speak, to help get back on track. So, you know, the, sh- the short answer is treatment is there and it exists and shows really good outcomes when somebody, um, you know, utilizes it and puts their best, best effort into it. And um, it's very hard to kind of, you know, get an answer as to, well, what's the numbers or what's the ratio or how well do people do who don't seek treatment? Well, we don't know. It's, it's hard because that data is not necessarily being aggregated um, and available to everybody. So, you know, the, 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 the way to look at it is that, you know, seeking treatment is there for individual who has tried and failed to get sober on their own and or they see that their life is spiraling so quickly out of control that you know any any further delay um you know could could cost them their life so um you know treatment is there it should be utilized and um you know it it should be uh used as a tool to help address not just the individual but help uh, as a roadmap to address other um aspects in somebody's life. Does relapse mean that treatment didn't work? Depends on, you know, who, who you're talking to or how you look at it. You know, I think historically, um, when something, a, a disease or an illness or symptom has been put into remission, um, in, in addiction, we say we're in recovery. Um, when the symptoms reoccur, they, they have uh, we have relapsed. And um, that doesn't mean the treatment failed. You know, that just means that the disease can come back. But the treatment could have initially put that addiction into remission and put that addiction into what we call recovery, 
where the active symptoms of usage um, no longer are present. So that would be successful. But being that the nature of the disease of addiction is something that is chronic and relapse can occur, it, 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 is, it doesn't necessarily have a reflection of um, uh, it being a poor treatment outcome versus it unfortunately being part uh, of a chronic illness that needs to be maintained. And, um, you know, for many individuals, it is something that occurs on, on multiple, uh, I don't want to say on multiple levels, but it's maybe because they did not um, have an opportunity to address all of the issues that maybe were prior to treatment, um, not incorporated or thought about as being something that uh, was part of why they used in the first place. So um, many times people who do relapse, they end up saying, oh, wait a minute, this is something that I didn't recognize or I didn't see or I didn't know that was a, was a, was a big part of why I used in the first place. So it, it's, it's a learning process being that there's so many things that um, incorporate or are involved in why somebody uses. And um, it's not necessarily a reflection of treatment failure versus us needing to just, you know, master um, the multiple variables that are unfortunately involved in, in, in our lives. And um, I wouldn't look at it as a failure if somebody relapses more of just uh, a, a need to revisit, look at and uh, refine um, so we can get back on track. While we're on the topic of treatment, does the length of stay in treatment have an impact on someone's chances of relapse? You know, say comparing 30 days, 60 days, 90 days? Well, if we look at um, a habit, if we look at um, a behavior, the longer we do something good or bad often influences our ability to continue doing it. Um, so when somebody's using drugs is, is suffering a, a, with addiction and it, it's often needs more time to unlearn, decondition and remodel those behaviors. So it's like, and I hate to compare this to homework or to something that we've done throughout our lives when we're in school, but the more we practice something, the better we get at it. Uh, similarly, when you go to treatment, Treatments, it's not just a surgery. Treatment incorporates multiple different things, biologically, psychologically, socially. And um, that's where we have an opportunity to uh, actually practice living a life of sobriety. Why we have multiple levels of care in treatment settings when we're treating addiction is because they all have a distinct purpose. Um, for example, when we enter treatment and, and, and we go to detoxification, if we go to detoxify ourselves, you know, this is the medical treatment to help us come, you know, uh, get through our withdrawal process um, with the least amount of discomfort while being supervised with, you know, medical professionals, by medical professionals. That's just one step. But then there's the psychological and the social components of understanding why we used and how we used and with whom we used. And these are things that are addressed in different um, levels of care. 
So the, the, the bottom line is these can only be accomplished if you stay in treatment and go through these steps. Um, if people were able to do this on their own, most of the time they would have stopped on their own. So the purpose of being in treatment and getting through these steps, and it usually takes time to do so, is because they, um, they need to be in place in order to gain that mastery, in, in order to learn a new way of living substance-free, and that takes time. So the longer you do it, the longer you're in treatment, the outcome often is better. So I'd like to talk about a topic that might be a little bit hard to discuss, but is it considered relapse if you use a different drug than what you initially went to treatment for? That, that can often be a philosophical question, mainly probably in what culture and what country you live in. In the United States, we look at you know addiction being a very chronic comprehensive disease that has to do with motivational hierarchy, cognitive distortions, alterations in neurochemistry, and, you know, associations between memory and emotions and and multiple different facets of, you know, a human being's mind, brain, and body and spirit. And so when the pursuit of a drug is is often due due to seeking an alternate emotion a feeling um you know we 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 kind of pull those all together so when somebody might be using alcohol to achieve an alternative state of mind and then stops and we we define them as having an alcohol use disorder i don't think most people who treat addiction will support that using marijuana, although that was not their drug of choice, is something that they should go ahead and do. Because this person's already struggled with um, difficulty with something that alters so substantially the way we feel, and is associated with their, their motivations and their memory. And it all works around a pleasure and reward circuitry. And similar way that many illicit substances do. So even though these drugs and alcohol may not all have the same pathway, uh, ultimately they're often used for the same purpose, the same intention. And that's why um, I think there's a, there's a general consensus that um, if, if somebody's addicted to one substance, um, it's probably not a good idea to go out and use another one because the intention will ultimately unmask itself. Uh, of using it in a, in a maladaptive way. So, um, yeah, using another substance is probably, uh, it's considered a, a relapse or, um, not a good, not a, not a good, uh, judgment call. And, and it's not, uh, it's definitely not advised. Okay. So it really does have to do with the intent. You know, it's not like using a prescription drug as you are supposed to be using it. It's an intent to, you know, use a mind-altering substance. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's, that's a good segue here because, you know, when, when you're, we know that people are abusing prescription substances on the street. We know that. But then we know that there are people who are not using addiction substances 
for the purpose other than, I mean, prescription medications um, for other purposes other than to treat what it was supposed to treat, their pain. So, yeah, I do believe, you know, the intention has a huge part of, of, of the definition of it, of addiction. And, um, when we, when we're talking about somebody using one substance versus another, if the purpose is to get high and the purpose is to alter one's sense and it, it relates to negative consequences and it relates to, um, you know, hijacking of the brain and, um, you know, there, there is, um, there is an addiction that develops, um, once the, you know, the definition plays out, but, um, I do believe intention has a, has, has, has a lot to do with this, um, and, um, needs to really be considered, um, when we're talking about it. And of course, taking a prescribed medication as indicated while under the supervision of a physician, um, and not being abused in a, in a, in a way that it was not intended does not meet that definition. So I know, you know, after completing treatment, you know, maybe somebody's struggling, the addicted mind is going to try to justify using that substance again. How can somebody prepare for these thoughts that are probably eventually going to happen? You know, is there anything they can do ahead of time to be ready to handle that when it happens? Yeah, we, we, when, we, when I spoke about earlier and, um, or maybe previously in another segment that, you know, it's important for us to, in our mind, mentally almost role play, uh, role play and, and deconstruct the scenarios that we used in the first place. And this, this often can be played out in uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. And it, and it really is about association, associating the, the variables that lead up to somebody using, identifying, you know, those personal places, things and situations that have led to certain thoughts that often elicit certain emotions that lead to those behaviors. Because if you can somehow deconstruct that, you can hopefully head it off at the pass when it's happening in real life. And that can't happen unless you've had an opportunity to explore it, um, slow, slow that whole thing down. Because in real life, when you get into an argument with your loved one, you are angry with them and, and then you walk out that door and you get in your car and that liquor store is there and you stop. That's happening very quickly with a lot of flood of emotions and often, you know, needed to be in retrospect. Um, if you look back upon it and say, wait a minute, these all things have a link that this person, this situation led to this, 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 and that. And so you need to kind of look through that, um, that process. And that's where treatment and therapy helps us deconstruct that chronology that leads up to substance use. So a way that we can be successful is, is identifying those relationships and hopefully, uh, hopefully um, avoiding those, avoiding those triggers, identifying what they are, and find alternative courses for us to take when those situations arise. And that takes practice. And that happens as we go through 
treatment processes once we've met certain objectives and goals. Um, that treatment often allows us an opportunity, uh, depending on the level of care we're at, to, to, to play this out under more supervised and structured environment. And I think that's where people who look at addiction treatment need to see this whole construct, that there was a design, there was thought, there is intent that has been put into place for us to follow in order to try and have the most success once we leave um, treatment um, to stay abstinent from drugs. So it's really about gaining as much mastery of the big picture so we can anticipate those things that make us or lead us to wander and, and use drugs or alcohol and uh, try and create a better case scenario um, when we're faced with those things in the future. I'd like to kind of reiterate what you said earlier at the beginning of this episode that relapse doesn't mean that you failed in your recovery. You know, the way that you react to that relapse can be an accomplishment and something to be proud of. You can find all sorts of resources on treatment and recovery at addictioncenter.com, as well as our other podcast episodes, also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you to everyone who's listened to another episode of Straight Talk with the Doc.